So it's John 12, verse 37 to 50. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I, th- what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Would you please pray with me as we come to God's word? Our Father in heaven, have mercy on each one of us. Give us eyes to see your Son, that we might know you as you truly are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Why doesn't God make himself clearer? If someone googled, is God there, and clicked on the top result, they'd read this. Stephen Hawking's final book says there's no possibility of God in our universe. Someone looking for God will read that. He says things like this. I think the universe was spontaneously created out of nothing, according to the laws of science. If you accept, as I do, that the laws of nature are fixed, then it doesn't take long to ask, what role is there for God? This is the most publicly accepted and popular belief in the community we live in. People live by this. If one of the greatest minds of our generation can't see God, it makes you wonder, why doesn't God make himself clearer? Well, 
When I was an SRE teacher at Katara High, I won't forget this one lesson in particular. A year seven class, a 12-year-old boy challenged me. If God is real, then he can make a bird land on that branch out the window. We're on the second story, tree outside. He wasn't making a philosophical point. He was challenging. He wants a sign, prove that God is there. Now, I was really torn at this point. On the one hand, I had this arrogance of a 12-year-old boy. And on the other hand, the class was listening to him. Uh, God's reputation was at stake. What do I do? I didn't want to put God to the test. Uh, Instead, I read, uh, just the rest of the lesson, I read Mark's gospel for as long as we got up to, to show them Jesus. At the end of the lesson, a few minutes before the bell, bell, a bird landed on that branch. (laughs) God was very gracious. Why doesn't God make himself clearer by doing things like that more often? Greater things than a bird just landing on a branch. And I think we can ask this question in our everyday experience as well. We might often think, consciously or not, I just don't feel close to God. Is he there? Is he with me? How can I feel so alone if God really is with me? When I go to church and hear about God, it just, it just doesn't do much for me. I feel the same temptation to sin as last week. I feel so weak. Surely I'd feel stronger if God was with me. I have this life-changing decision to make. And it just doesn't seem like God is there helping me decide. Why doesn't God make himself clearer? Here's the Apostle John's answer. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to say he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. 
the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. If you see Jesus, you see God. Like in a court case, John has given his opening statement. He has spent 12 chapters laying out the evidence. In our passage today, we come to a closing statement. From chapter 13 onwards, Jesus teaches those who believe in him what it will mean to follow him to the cross. And Gareth will help us through the first section of this next week. So imagine... You're a member of a jury and you're about to go off to deliberate over that evidence and then give your verdict. Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God? Do you think he is impressive? So impressive that he is like a bright light and this rest of the world is just in darkness. So before we hear the closing statement, let's remind ourselves of what we've seen so far. You've seen seven signs, and you've heard Jesus' accompanying words, which together reveal who Jesus is. So sign one, at the wedding in Cana, Jesus creates a ridiculous amount of wine just out of water. And the twelve disciples see this, they see his glory and believe. Jesus then says he's going to create a new temple in just three days where people can come close to God and know him. He says to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Sign two, Jesus tells the Roman centurion, go, your son will live. The centurion believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And his son, who was sick, lived. Sign three. By a pool in Jerusalem, a man lay there who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. He declared to the authorities, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Sign four. A crowd of 5,000 men followed to hear Jesus' words, and out of five barley loaves and two fish, he feeds every single one of them. They're full. They're stuffed. And then they collect 12 baskets of leftovers. And Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Sign five. While his disciples cross the sea in a boat, about five kilometres of rowing, they see Jesus walking on the sea and coming towards them, and they are frightened. Sign six. A man who was born blind, Jesus spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go and wash. So he went and washed and came back 
seeing. Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Sign seven. After four days of Lazarus being dead and wrapped in burial cloth in a tomb, at the mouth of the tomb, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died walked out. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You've seen the signs. You've heard his words. What's your verdict? Here's the Jewish people's verdict in verse 37. Though he had done so many, so great signs before them, they still did not believe in him. The descendants of Abraham, those delivered through Moses, those waiting for the promised son of David, those who received the words of the prophets, came to the verdict, not the Christ. Not the son of God. If Jesus is the real deal, how come the Jews didn't see him as the son of God? Just before we explore John's answer to this question, quickly notice that the Jews' verdict has swung drastically and really quickly. Something has changed their minds. Just hours earlier, they'd had a public celebration welcoming him into Jerusalem, crying out, the King of Israel. Something has changed in those few hours. I think they take particular issue with what Jesus said in verse 32. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. A Christ who lays down his power and chooses to die. A Christ who says whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. A Christ who invites all people, not just Jews, all people everywhere to come to him. No, he's no longer impressive. They didn't like what they saw. So we're left with the question, how come the Jews didn't see Jesus as God? And John gives two main answers to this question. First, through the testimony of Isaiah, we can see that they were blind, as God said they would be. And the second answer is, many Jews did believe, but they remained silent because their love for this world got in the way of their any love for God. So first, 
John calls the prophet Isaiah onto the witness stand. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? These words are from Isaiah 53.1. And they're about God's chosen suffering servant who would be pierced for our transgressions. So that God's people, their relationship with God would be healed. The rejection of the suffering servant was always what God said would happen. In fact, under God's sovereign hand, the rejection is the very means by which God brings about his plan to save. And it shows the utter stubbornness and blindness of sinful people that they would even reject the one who suffers in their place to save them. The unbelief of the Jews is exactly what God said would happen. And it shouldn't be surprising. Israel has always been like this. When they were saved from Egypt by the ten plagues through Moses, revealing the powerful, saving arm of the Lord, brought to the edge of the promised land, Moses says this to them in Deuteronomy 29, 3-4. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. They've always been like this. People are always like this. And it's a willful blindness. An inability to believe. You might be objecting. How can people be saved if they are not able to believe? It's not that God makes seeing people blind. It's that he leaves people in their willful blindness and by his grace alone, he chooses some to give new eyes to see. No one deserves eyes to see. It's our own sin that makes us blind. Remember Jesus' words in John 3.19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. By sending the light, after seeing more of God in Jesus, those who love the darkness are even more sure that they want to stay in darkness. So God leaves them there. But Isaiah, by God's mercy, he saw Jesus' glory. That vision in chapter 6 of God high and exalted on his throne, he saw Jesus' glory. Isaiah 53, he saw the suffering servant. He saw the glory. 
the Jews' blindness to Jesus is just as God said. And so their rejection is actually even more confirmation that Jesus really is the Christ. God said this would be the case. Their rejection is more confirmation that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God. So now John has pointed that out to you. You have even more light to see. What will you do with that? If you see Jesus, you see God. The second answer, on the other hand, John points out that there were many Jews who did believe in Jesus. Even some of the authorities who knew their scriptures well. We might think of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who gave Jesus an honourable burial. They did believe, and many others as well. But if they believed, why didn't they say so? Why weren't they public about it? The reason is a little chilling, a little piercing to our own hearts. They love the glory, the praise that comes from people more than the praise that comes from God. It's belonging to those with the power. It's having a recognised place and position in the community. That was more important than belonging to God. They feared the Pharisees. They didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. They wanted to keep their place, their identity, their relationships more than they wanted to have God's approval and his welcome, his praise for following God's son. I think we all know this very well, don't we? I think it hits each of us. Different ways. It's not taking any step that would threaten your position in the people that you belong to. I'll follow Jesus, just I won't take any step that threatens my place in that people group. I think we know that very well. I do. It's the teenager who follows Christ as long as it doesn't cost them anything with their friends at school. They do whatever it takes to stay in the group. It's the uni student who follows Christ as long as their place in the group is not at stake. It's the worker who goes along with the gossip in the workplace for fear of their own reputation. It's the person who needs constant interest from the opposite sex to feel affirmed. It's the class clown. It's the know-it-all. It's those who have to look good all the time. It's the career-obsessed. It's even the preacher who cares more what people think of them than what people think of Christ. Not taking any step that would threaten your position in the people you belong to. 
like usual, we settle for less. We settle for a fake imitation of what we're truly created for. And the dangerous thing for ourselves is that it gets in the way of belonging to God and knowing his love and his rejoicing over us. Gets in the way of us living for him. And the damaging thing to God's reputation and the damaging thing to others being able to see God through us is that like the Jews, it undermines our witness to the all-surpassing goodness of belonging to Jesus, of knowing the Father's love for us. Jesus has promised in verse 26, if anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. They will be good words to hear. It's not that you shouldn't seek praise at all. Just seek the right praise. Which one will you seek? And this isn't a small issue. It's because of everyone's lack of love for the praise that comes from God that Jesus needed to die if anyone was going to live. It's not a small issue. You are going to constantly be witnessing to everyone around you which one you think is more desirable, which one you think is worth striving for. God's reputation is at stake. Others seeing Christ through you so that they might have life in God is at stake. Your joy and salvation in seeing Christ as greater than what this world has to offer is at stake. Jesus isn't exaggerating when he calls us to hate our life in this world. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we may question why God doesn't make himself clearer. We see so many people who are blind to Jesus, but that's as God said it would be. And we see others who believe, but they show by the way they live that this world is worth having more than God. And so Jesus makes a final, public, tender appeal. Look and see and receive everlasting life. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given him has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. It almost sounds like 
Jesus is distancing himself from his message. Don't look at me. I'm just saying what I've been told to say. Take it up with the Father. He's not ashamed of the message. He is the message. He's not ashamed of it. And anyone who believes receives eternal life. So what's he pointing out here? Jesus' entire ministry, all this time, he has been serving the command he received from God the Father. Every word, what to say, what to speak. The Father himself, no one else, has told him what to say. Therefore, to hear Jesus' words is to hear the Father. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the Father. To reject Jesus is to reject the Father. To know the love of Jesus is to know the love of the Father. Whatever other way you think you know God, it is bogus. It is rubbish. If you bypass Jesus. Therefore it's right. That if you reject Jesus words. It's Jesus words that will judge you on the last day. How you respond to Jesus words is how you treat God. These words we've been studying in John's Gospel are not only evidence that point to a conclusion, the words themselves reveal Jesus. And because they reveal Jesus, they show us the Father. If you see Jesus, if you listen to him, you see God, you know God. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You and every person is born into this world in a natural state of darkness, not knowing God, not wanting to know God. But Jesus has come as the light to make God known. He didn't come to judge He came to save you. This is eternal life, says Jesus, that you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Do you see him? Let me finish by showing you a man who had eyes to see. We pick up the story with a man born blind whom Jesus healed when he's being interrogated by the Pharisees and he knows that anyone who confesses Jesus as the Christ is going to get kicked out of the synagogue. The man answered them. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone 
open the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He had eyes to see. Do you see him? The light has come into the world, making the invisible God known. Will you remain in darkness? Waiting for judgment because you prefer this world to knowing God? Or will you receive the welcome from the Father because you want true life knowing Jesus? As you look at Jesus, as you hear his words, do you see?